WTTM 432. Window to the Magic is a member of the Mice Chat Podcast Network. MicePod.com. MiceChat.com. Now, surround yourself with the magic. Hey everyone, Paul here. Window to the Magic can continue to do what it does exclusively through the generous support of listeners like you. If you like what you're hearing, please visit windowtothemagic.com and sign up for a recurring support donation. You'll help out the show, and in addition, you'll receive some awesome bonus content from Window to the Magic as thank you gifts. And if you're already a Window to the Magic recurring supporter, thanks so much for supporting the magic. Now sit back and enjoy the show. You're listening to the windowtothemagic.com podcast. Brought to you by windowtothemagic.com. Surround yourself with the magic. Hello, and welcome to A Window to the Magic. My name is Paul, and as always, I will be your guide through the wonderful world of Disney sound experiences. This show is a weekly trip through the world of the Disney theme parks and resorts, and this is the place where you get to use your ears to surround yourself with the magic. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode number 432 of A Window to the Magic, the ultimate Disney audio adventure. And welcome to season 10 of A Window to the Magic. Beginning with this episode, it is now our 10th year of providing you with the best audio adventures from throughout the Disney experience. We've been doing this now for nine full years, and we have now begun our 10th year. Wow. So what we're going to do for this episode is I'm going to go ahead and play a couple of voicemails that I just recently got. And then we're going to hear from Bryn McKinnon, who was the co-host who came in and did the Brindo to the Magic Where in the Park game just recently. And uh, then we are going to go to the UCLA campus to the Disney Club of UCLA meetup, and we are going to be joined by Mr. Patrick Warburton, who most of you probably know from Seinfeld uh, and from The Emperor's New Groove and Kronk's New Groove, among many, many other possible things. So anyway, like I said, we're going to start with the voicemails, so let's go ahead and play those now. Hey, Paul, it's Pam in Oklahoma, and I wanted to call and wish you a happy anniversary to you and the Window to the Magic. That is amazing. I've been listening since the very beginning, and you're still my favorite podcast. And I was trying to remember how I first heard about you and Window to the Magic, and I'm thinking somehow it was from your Country Bears website, which is awesome. Is that still around? <laughs> I should probably check. But yeah, the last 10 years... I've got to hang out with you a few times and just got to know you, and it's just, it's been great. Your your podcast, you, everything, it's a complete package. Remember back in the early days when you referred to me as your, jokingly referred to me as your podcast girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, lots of good memories. And now that I live in Oklahoma, again, 
Uh, I can't make it back out to my home, meaning Disneyland, as often as I'd like. So your podcast is exactly what I need, and it helps me out. It's like being there with an old friend. So I really do appreciate that. So happy anniversary, my friend. And I am thankful to count you as my friend. You are the sweetest guy around. Please keep doing what you're doing for many more years to come, and I will keep listening. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. Okay, just call and check to see if it still works. Obviously, it does. This is Deborah, and I just wanted to say thank you for your 10 years of surrounding us with the magic. Okay, bye. Hey, Paul, this is Jeremy. I'm calling you from the Neverland Podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. And since you're going through some life changes, I just wanted to... Hang on, what is that? I'm smelling... Is that smoke? Mickey, what's going on out there? Oh, oh, pizza's ready, Jeremy! What do you mean, pizza? Who's making pizza? Uh, well, gosh, no one said I had to take it out of the box first. Um, I'm having a mild crisis here. Um... By the way, if you'd like to come and pick up your Disney friends and bring them back to uh, your park, that would be wonderful. Either that or you can just wait and I'll ship them back to the Friends of the Magic Meet where I'm sending Jesse to uh, meet people over there August 8th, 9th, and 10th. So all your listeners, make sure they come and meet Jesse from the Neverland Podcast. And uh, if they're not subscribing to your show, tell them they need to subscribe to your show because the subscriber shows are awesome. Anyways, you have a wonderful time. And I tell you what, you just remember that everybody, we all love you out here. And uh, you all know that life changes are stressful, but uh, you know what? You're going to get through it, and you'll just be all the stronger for it. Okay, now I better go and uh, see what in the world they've done to my kitchen. <laughs> Bye. Thank you very much for the kind words. It is awesome to hear from you guys. I always love it when we get voicemails because that is just, uh, you guys get to hear me all the time, but I never get to hear you. And so that's just really awesome when you call in and uh, provide your feedback. Now, a small announcement uh, and a good announcement this time. Uh, coming up next here is Bryn, who I said earlier did the Brindo to the Magic episode. Well, just recently, she and I spent the evening having sushi, and she expressed an interest in doing another episode. And so I would like to announce here on this first episode of Season 10 that Bryn is officially joining the Window to the Magic podcast team and occasionally will be coming in to do Brindo to the Magic. And uh, each show will have a different topic between walking around in the parks and doing where in the park games to uh, possibly history episodes and other things like that that you guys have been asking about. So the ideas are basically up to her as to what she wants to do, but I know you guys are going to enjoy anything that she comes up with because, well, she's just awesome. So what she's going to provide us with now is feedback in regards to the contest that she had on the Brindo to the Magic episode. So let's go ahead and hear that audio now. Hey everybody, it's Bryn popping back in to say hi and to thank all of you who listened to episode number 424, the Brindo to the Magic Where in the Park contest. I had a ton of fun recording it and it sounds like some of you enjoyed listening to it as well, which made me really happy. And enough people enjoyed it enough to, uh, to enter the contest and in a little while I'm gonna tell you who won the contest. But first, I'll give you a rundown of where I was so that you can check the entry that you sent in against 
my actual route and see how close you got. Pretty much everyone who sent in a contest entry got the route correctly. They got at least five reference points on the route and everybody got the final destination correct which makes me think I probably made it a little too easy, but that's okay. <laughs> the idea was that it would be fun. And what I do find funny, and maybe you noticed this, was in listening to it again, how often someone right near the attraction where I was would say the name of the attraction out loud when I was standing there. I was not planning that, but pretty much if you were listening close enough and you had no idea where I was, if you just listened, someone was gonna say the name of the attraction, and there probably were at least five of those there. Anyway, I thought that was funny. Totally unplanned. Another thing I thought was pretty awesome was toward the beginning, when we were still on Main Street, there was that mom who threatened to leave, which I thought was awesome to have such a classic Disneyland experience moment in the show. Also wanted to thank people who sent in pun nicknames based on my name. There were a lot of those, and that was hilarious. I really enjoyed that. And it's not too late to send those if you come up with any more. I'm sort of taking a collection of them and hope to use them some other time in some other way. So if you still have Bryn Pun nicknames rolling around in your head, send them to a podcast at windowtothemagic.com or on Twitter you can send them to at WTTM. Or if you would like to leave a voicemail, I would love to hear about that. And the phone number is 307-GET-WTTM. Okay, a couple more things before I give you the route. I wanted to send some shout outs to a few people who spent it seems like a nice chunk of time giving extremely detailed or clever contest entries. Just people who sort of gave more than just a list of points on the route, which, which made me laugh and, and was fun for me to read. I wanted to thank them. It was Jeff Peterson, Brian Martsoff, Kenny V, and Brian Duda. So thanks guys. It was really cool to read through your entries in particular. I enjoyed all the entries because it was really cool to see how many people wanted to play along. So Okay, so where did I go? Let's start. It's probably pretty obvious to most everybody that we were in Disneyland. And I went under the train trestle that's on the right side as you're looking at the Mickey floral arrangement. Then I paused just as I exited the trestle and I stopped to listen to the Main Street Station train announcement. Next, I walked down the right side of Main Street to the Main Street Cinema and I went in and enjoyed some of the original Mickey Mouse cartoons there. I exited the Main Street Cinema. You can hear that clacking sound of the theater's turnstile. That's what that was in case anybody wanted to know. I stayed on that side of Main Street and I lucked out that the Dapper Dans were performing. So listen to a little bit of that. And then I continued along Main Street to the end of Main Street, and then I turned right after the Market House. I walked up to the payphone that's to the right of the first aid station. I picked up the receiver and I stuck my finger in the coin return. <laughs> that sounds really weird to do, but I just wanted some sort of aural cue of where I was. And nobody got that, but there were a few people who were trying to guess what that sound was, which was interesting. Then I made a beeline for Adventureland entrance. I stopped briefly in front of the Enchanted Tiki Room. I went through the entrance to Frontierland and headed over to the Shootin' Exposition, walked over to the entrance to the Mark Twain Riverboat, then walked to the left along the Rivers of America. I crossed over then to New Orleans Square and walked back around the back of the bandstand at the French Market Restaurant and continued along past the New Orleans Square train station. I kept going along where like the Mint Julep Bar is into that no man's land of construction underneath Club 33. I wasn't even really sure where I was, but then I went past the Blue Bayou. I passed the Royal Street Veranda and went up over the bridge over the Pirates of the Caribbean queue. I hustled past Tarzan's Treehouse, then I stood up for a while against the railing in the Jungle Cruise queue. 
that was a little confusing to people sometimes. Then I marched, literally marched, into the Tropical Imports store and I got some advice from Aladdin's other lamp. And then I went back to the Enchanted Tiki Room to catch a little pre-show. And then I walked briskly across the hub, just straight across the hub to Tomorrowland. I rushed past the Astro Orbiter and the Star Tours line and Star Tours itself to the Captain EO entrance. Quickly, I went past Innoventions and a speedy walk through the Tomorrowland Terrace patio and out the other side. Then I ducked under the monorail and I went over to the wall that is surrounding the Finding Nemo subs. I walked along that wall and the Matterhorn was on my left. I went around that wall until we got to the Mad Tea Party and the silent at the time Alice in Wonderland and the Alice bathrooms. I went around past Pixie Hollow and to the drawbridge to Sleeping Beauty Castle. Then I faked you out and I stood just in the entrance to Fantasyland, and I listened to Jiminy Cricket crooning for a bit. Then I walked back out the way I came in, <laughs> and over to the Royal Theater to catch just the beginning of Mr. Smythe and Mr. Jones' Beauty and the Beast show there. Finally, I walked up the side entrance to the castle, past the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, and into the courtyard of Sleeping Beauty Castle. The walkthrough there, which ended up being our destination, the Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough. That walkthrough is one of my very favorite things to do at Disneyland. I love the history of it and my memories of it as a kid in the 70s and 80s. And I really like the update that they did most recently. So there was the main places that I went. <laughs> it's a long list. But then also, you get extra cool kids points if you also included the time I spent at Toontown at the very, very end of the recording. If you listened all the way to the end, which sometimes Paul likes to tack on a little extra tag at the end of something fun, you know that I was in Toontown at the end. And where I was specifically was the exit to the Roger Rabbit cartoon spin. There you have it. That was my route. I hope that you're not disappointed. And I hope that you got a lot right. Most of you did. And so now, no further ado, that was a lot of ado beforehand. The winner of the contest is Mike Fisk. Mike Fisk. Congratulations, Mike Fisk. You have won a handful of Maleficent movie and classic Maleficent related items that I will mail to you. I will be sending you or one, someone will be sending you an email to get your address, but congratulations. Um, I'm stoked that you entered and happy that you won. I think that's it. I do want to thank everybody who listened and everyone who entered the contest or in, if you maybe just sent feedback because I got some of those and that was really great. I really, really appreciate it. This was a really fun experience for me and I'm really, I have big thanks for Paul for letting me take over his mics and hijack his show for a little bit. Thanks again. Maybe I'll see you around. Bye-bye. If you are the winner, please send an email into podcast at windowtothemagic.com giving us your mailing address, and we will go ahead and get that prize pack sent out to you ASAP. So now for the final part of this kickoff episode for Season 10 of A Window to the Magic, we are going to go to the UCLA campus. Disney Club of UCLA recently invited me down to their meetup to spend the evening with Mr. Patrick Warburton. It was a fun evening, and I know you're going to enjoy hearing it. So, here you go. <laughs> Alright guys, welcome to Disney Club. Um, please give a warm welcome to our founder, Matthew Friedman. Everybody, thank you so much all for coming. Uh, this is really, really exciting. Uh, we've, been, we've been working on this event for a long time, and so we're really excited that it's finally come to fruition. Um, for those of you that this is your first time coming out to the Disney Club of UCLA, we're a club here on the UCLA campus, 
and we're really dedicated to creating magic for those in the UCLA community and other communities. Um, and so we like, you know, smiles, laughs, and lifelong memories is kind of our, our tagline of everything. So we are here to celebrate, uh, here tonight to celebrate the work of a man who is quite an iconic individual whose voice seems to be instantly recognizable anytime you hear it. Uh, while Patrick Warburton has been in so many iconic roles, there is one in particular that holds a special place in my heart, and my guess is yours as well. This individual performance of Wrong Levers, Spinach Puffs and Shoulder Angels, complete with water slides, uh, is personally one of the funniest moves I've ever seen, and I can't wait to hear about all the stories that went into the making of this great film and the creation of Kronk. Uh, but before we start, I'd like to take a quick moment to thank all of our special guests for coming tonight. And especially Mr. Tony Bancroft, who is actually the supervising animator of Kronk. So it's really cool that we, we got that. Um, I would also like to thank our Disney Club and UCLA team members who are scattered about everywhere, but without them, these events do not happen. And every day they put in so much to make happiness for other people, it's really, really special to see. Uh, so thank you, Disney Club team, for all the amazing work that you guys do. So further uh, ado, I'd like to introduce one of the nicest and most wonderful people I know, Ms. Daniel Plotman, who will be your host for us this evening. Thanks so much, and have a great night, everybody. Hello, all. Thank you for coming. Uh, so tonight, we have with us a true icon. Patrick Warburg was born in New Jersey and then raised in Huntington Beach. He attended Orange Coast College for marine biology, but decided to go and pursue modeling and acting. This was a good move, for he can be found both on the movie screen as well as on television. His iconic deep voice has made him a must-have in the showbiz industry. He made his first big debut on Seinfeld, playing Elaine's on-and-off-again boyfriend, David Petty. He also, he also appeared on The Tick, Family Guy, Kim Possible, Buzz Lightyear, Rules of Engagement, and many more. On the big screen, his voice can be found in Home on the Range, Sky High, Hoodwinked, Peabody and Sherman, and of course, Emperor's New Group. As Kronk, Warburton has become one of the favorite Disney characters of all time. We're so honored to have him with us tonight. Please help me welcome up Patrick Warburton. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. And thank you, Danielle. What a pleasure it is to be here. And I didn't really pursue modeling. I... <laughs> I did a little print work, and uh, just seemed like a thing to do. <laughs> Alright, thank you for joining us. <laughs> I just want to get down a lot. Alright, first question for the night. What first got you interested in acting? Uh, well, my mother was an actress, and she was a professional actress. She went by Barbara Ward, that was her stage name. And, uh, but she got out of the business uh, when she started having a family. Uh, so, but I would go see her do community theater. She would do um, uh, British farces like See How They Run or whatnot. And I was 13 and had uh, nothing else going on or no, nowhere else to be than hanging out backstage with mom and some, some group of community theater players. And it looked like a lot of fun. And so then when things didn't really work out in college, I decided that's, um, that I would pursue that. So you were a marine biology major. Did you enjoy that, or like, was it because of that that you decided to switch into? It's a, it's a bit fraudulent. <laughs> I, I love Jacques Cousteau and Jacques Cousteau specials. And, uh, how many of you know, know who Jacques Cousteau is, right? Or have you ever seen, have you ever seen a Jacques Cousteau special? Do they still show them every now and then? He was the pioneer. He was an amazing man and uh, really uh, uh, created so much uh, early awareness for the environment and the ocean. And, very inspirational. I thought I wanted to be a marine scientist, but uh, I probably would have ended up going and working for an oil company and taking ground samples. I think that's, you know, swimming with the fishes is ultimately what you'd like to do. And, uh, you know, I, I 
did not, uh, I didn't do well, uh, I really did not do well in college, junior college for that matter. Uh, I went to Orange Coast College, I thought I had narcolepsy, I fell asleep in most every class. <laughs> but I was rowing crew, so you row crew, you row a boat for two hours, and then uh, you uh, wander into your first class and you're, it's a mix of endorphins and exhaustion, and I would fall asleep. And even if it was an auditorium class, you know, uh, I might get a little nudge from the guy next to me, you know, you go, your story. <laughs> the sheer embarrassment would keep me awake for the next 10 or 15 minutes, and I would just, <laughs> I would nod off again. But I, I had not discovered the coffee beverage at that point. If I had, I might have gotten an education. <laughs> that was it. All right, so how many of you in the crowd are Seinfeld fans? So tell us about your experience working on Seinfeld with Jerry and Julia and all those awesome people. Well, they were they were all amazing and very very generous. I was um, I never I never wanted to be anywhere near Jerry uh, only because I was so deathly afraid that I might just put my foot in my mouth or say something. I wanted to hit my marks, make the material work, and then just get out of there. Because I, I, was, I wasn't sure, you know, I didn't want to, you know, I hadn't really spent any time with him, and I was afraid that my first things, the first things I might say to him might be like, so, how do you like doing the show, or, um, how are things? Um, and then um, I, I would just start annoying him. And, um, but uh, I really did uh, enjoy working with all of them, and Julie was very special, great lady. Um, Michael Richards is one of the um, most interesting, funny actors I've ever seen. I've never seen anybody do what Michael Richards did on that show. And it all seems so um, organic and like it's just, he is that guy. But um, it's all very, it was all very much rehearsed what I noticed, you know. If, they, if um, Andy Ackerman was the director when I worked on the show and if he was directing a scene in, uh, on another set with the, you know, maybe Jerry or Julie or somebody, uh, Michael would be sliding into the door, you know, two sets down. It was all very choreographed, and he'd have to work very hard at that, you know, so he had a really good work ethic. Yeah. So when you were going into acting, did you know that you'd be doing voice acting? I didn't. I expressed an interest. Um, I, I expressed an interest at one point. It was during the ninth and final season of Seinfeld, and, um, got an agent, and then um, immediately got some really good opportunities, one being the Buzz Lightyear TV series, and, uh, and of course, my, still my favorite all-time opportunity, getting to do Crunk, you know, so, and working with the, the great Tony Bancroft, who's right here and surprised me tonight, so, so great to see you. What has been your favorite um, piece to work on, whether a movie or a show? Uh, well, everything's different, you know. Um, I love working on uh, The Tick, which is a short-lived show I did years ago, um, because it was very creative and, um, and different, you know. Uh, you, strip, you, you can kind of get burned out with multi-camera TV shows. Um, and uh, not that there isn't a place for them, and I have, I have enjoy, enjoyed experiences on them, but uh, I like uh, things that are a little bit more crazy or insane, you know. The tape would have been one of those, yeah. Um, 
So you mentioned being Buzz Lightyear on the TV series. Can you tell us what that experience was, was like since like you weren't in like the original movie? Well, I knew immediately that uh, when they came to me and I knew Tim went Tim Allen wouldn't do it, I knew immediately that I would be the poor man's buzz and I was fine with that. And I knew that there would be a million little boys that first Saturday morning when I popped up and I'd be like, he's not the real guy. That's, <laughs> that is so not cool. But then that they would get used to it after a while. And, and, uh, and uh, I just thought it was great. Listen, any opportunity I worked for Disney for me was, because uh, I grew up on Disney. I went to the parks for the first time at Disney, Disneyland when I was like six or seven years old. And I found a five dollar bill. I remember that moment. People just throw money around here. Very special place. Um, but, uh, and it's always been, been so much more to me than, uh, you know, a theme parks and movie studio, this or that, as we all know, everybody's room knows, it's such a special, special place. I always felt like if they were going to base a religion on science fiction, they should base one on Disney. Disneyology. I would go to the Church of Disneyology. Um, but I, you know, I grew up in a house with three younger sisters, and we were all within four years of age, and we were only allowed to watch two things growing up, and that was Little House on the Prairie and The Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday nights. And, um, so, uh, so those early opportunities for me were with Disney. The first voice I ever did was uh, just a guest spot on the Hercules TV series, and then, you know, it's like immediately after that, um, I did find myself having the opportunity to go um, and read for Kronk and in Buzz Lightyear, which were at the same time. But uh, I went. I was playing golf. I remember I went to play golf with the John Hurley who played Peterman on Seinfeld, and uh, Tim Allen's manager was there. And we were, this is, you know, 15 years ago. And we went out to play golf, and so I asked him, I said, so Tim's not doing the TV series? He says, no. Plus, I have TV series. He goes, no. I go, do you know who's doing it? He goes, no, I'm not sure. Have you heard it? He said, uh, yeah. I go, what, what do you guys think? Well, we, don't, we don't think we like it very much. I'm like, sure, I'm going to do it. It's funny because I ended up working with Tim a number of times after that, and we would, you know, good naturedly give each other a hard time about it. One was a movie called Big Trouble, um, uh, which was the most ill-time uh, Ill, Ill released film of all time. It's a com very large comedy, very Seinfeld picture, uh, with a bomb on an airplane that was set to come out September 20th, 2001. So, People see it now, like, eh, that's a funny movie. I don't remember being in theaters. Well, there's a start. And then I went to go do this movie called Joe Somebody with Tim, where I just smacked the crud out of him in front of his child, really. Oh. <laughs> um, I never let I never let any of my kids see that. I let them see other things. I just to me it's such a, a horrible image hitting a man in front of his child. I am just you know, this movie's not worth seeing for that. So. <laughs> So, to, to my knowledge, none of my four kids have ever seen that, but I was on that day when I was smacking around. I said, I must be your worst nightmare. I uh, voice your character, uh, I follow you from set to set, and I beat you around. <laughs> but then he went back and produced a pilot and hired me, so we get along just fine. But I, uh, I love Tim, and he's a, a very, very talented, very funny man. And, um, uh, but he was cursing my name because the 
first three episodes that we did of Buzz Lightyear, they wanted to release on DVD and they wanted to use the original Buzz voice. So Tim had to go in and ADR everything I did in three episodes. And our timings could not be more different. And so when you're trying to lip sync and somebody keeps throwing you out, so he was just, you know, saying horrible things about me and cursing me out for, you know, hour after hour because it would take So with such an iconic, like, booming voice, how do you create each character that you do differently? Well, um, I'm not exactly a chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are voiceover artists out there that are amazing, and they, uh, in, in everything they do, it sounds unique or different, and I don't know, you know, it's sometimes hard to, you know, tell what they're doing because they make such a change. And, and I, I'm, I really have it. So there is a lot of my characters sort of sound similar, I guess. <laughs> uh, I feel like I've sort of gotten away with something. <laughs> but they come from different places, you know. So, you know, um, you know, if I do a cartoon on adult film called The Venture Brothers. Yeah. Samson is sort of, uh, you know, sort of badass, and he, everything's just down, down here, I guess. Crump is a little bit sweeter. Joe, Joe on Family Guy, he's just more earnest. <laughs> so it all sort of comes from the same place, but just with the different attitudes, you know. Um, so you can, you can, you can, you know, do that, I guess. So just essentially, it's it is sort of like emotions and you know, what it is that the, what the core is, you know, how they feel. You can use the same voice, but it might sound a little different just because of you know when you know of the attitude and the emotion that comes from it sort of um, informs the voice. <laughs> Alright, well this is I think one of the fun the, the funner stories. So we're gonna go back in time. 
time, just a little bit here. <laughs> the year is 1986, and I'm 22 years old, and I go to South Africa to do two of the worst movies that have never been made. <laughs> With Eartha Kitt and Oliver Reed. Uh, and uh, they're called Dragonard. And South Africa was not a terribly safe place at the time. We had airplanes flying over, dropping pamphlets, propaganda. We had two people machine gunned to death in front of our stage one day because they got to work on a stay away day. It was a, it was a very dangerous time. Um, uh, I became a drinking mate to Oliver Reed. That was you know, a great experience that I took away. Oliver Reed is this brilliant actor who was relegated to doing these horrible films because they couldn't ensure a major production with him. And at this point, he was too much of a liability. But even though he was drunk every day and tried to get me drinking at 10 o'clock in the morning, which I would not do, still try to be professional, and I still was just terrible in these movies. He's the only watchable thing in these movies. But Bertha Kitt, would, uh, she was there, and this is the first time I met her, and she would eat uh, garlic. She would eat, um, you knew she was 50 feet behind you when she walked in the room, because she was eating raw garlic all day. And um, so we do these movies, and we go back, uh, we go back, and I see that she's performing at the Roosevelt Hotel. Well, gosh dang it, we just did a movie together. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go support her and see her perform at the Roosevelt Hotel. So I go and I watch the show. And uh, I see her and I go, uh, well, Bertha, that was fantastic. Boy, you can sing. Why is that sound stupid like that? Uh, well, darling, would you like to come upstairs? Well, sure. So I go upstairs, an hour and we're now I'm going to tell you right now, she was probably 60-something inch at the time, and I was 22. She did not hit on me. <laughs> Did not, it was not over. But this was a very interesting experience for me. I go up to her room. Ah, oh, sure, there'll be a bunch of people. It's like backstage, right? No. I go to her room. There was somebody else in that room, and I don't know if it was a man or one, but they disappeared immediately. They're gone. And now I was just left with her, and I don't know if it was a cat or a dog, but she had an animal that too much hair on And and she was petting it. And she's on one end of the couch and I'm on the other. Hello. How are you? I'm like, you know when you get really, really scared and nervous and you don't know why, but you know you should be, it's just awkward. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm fantastic and that was a wonderful show. Mm. <laughs> this went on for a little while and I was just like, if it was a game of chess, I was like an immediate checkmate. I just was, I was so off class. There's no, these two people were the most unlikely people to be together. I mean, I'm just a stupid, you know, failed at a junior college, Orange County boy. I'm sitting on a couch in a room alone with Eartha Kitt and an animal that she's petting. <laughs> and it, it, it just, it was, a, it was a pure torture. So I, I got out of there. You're great. I split. Um, I didn't see her again until the premiere of The Emperor's New Group. But before, you know, before we ever did The Emperor's New Group, they said, 
I said, uh, Disney's very secretive with their projects. They give you, they don't give you a script, you get four pages. I got four pages of an Yzma and a croc. And I don't know, I didn't know what a croc was. An ogre, a robot, uh, what I was looking at, it's a cartoon. So, um, but I see the relationship between, you know, croc and Yzma. And I said, who's Yzma? And they said, Bertha Kitts. <laughs> and I looked at this and I just said, I know exactly what they did. <laughs> and it was just so strange because Kronk and Yzma just seemed like me and Eartha all those years ago. <laughs> Weird and awkward together. It just really didn't make a lot of sense. You look at the two of them and are they dating or, you know, I was trying to figure out what Kronk, well, what a Kronk, what would he sound like? And I just thought, you know, he's a henchman, but he's reticent. So there's something sweet, but a little something sweet about it. So I mean, I'm very like, so fuck. In a way, he sort of sounds like a big drag queen, you know? <laughs> but he's, you know, he's, uh, he's very proud of his He's got a lot of guilt, I think, at times, you know. But that sort of, just thinking about these things sort of informed my voice, you know. This is, how this sounds like this. this is what it and for years and years, um, and for any of pursuing acting or voiceover, I, for years, was always trying to figure out what the right way was, and which is such a dead end. And um, I sort of just got inspired with Kronk and went in there and said, well, this is what Kronk sounds like, because they don't know, they got everything, they know what he looks like, they know what, you know, they don't know what he sounds like until they hear him at times. And so you, sometimes you gotta go in there and say, hey, this is what he sounds like. And fortunately, they, they've been, it was one of the greatest experiences I ever had. So I'll, I'll always be so grateful and pleased and feel blessed that that worked out, because to get to be a part of a Disney movie, you know, was really the most special thing that happened to me at that point. I mean, I remember all the Disney movies and animated films from, from the past, you know, and like who animated them. I remember Sebastian Cabot being a great animator. Most people remember him as Mr. French on A Family Affair, but uh, I remember he narrated The Sword of the Stone, and I always loved, loved that, that film. But, um, that's sort of, yeah, how, how the And uh, just full of sort of irony with Bertha. <laughs> Did you know that when you were making Kronk that he'd be such a huge hit? Um, no, but you know, I, I don't believe the film like opened huge, right? I mean, it became more of a cult Disney classic, I think. And uh, one that grew that way. Um, you know, I, the last few times I've been to Disneyland, I have not seen a croc walking around the park. <laughs> Is there one? Um, there isn't?
What is your favorite line from Emperor's New Groove? Hmm. I, I, I will not get it right, but I think I like when Crocs confuse like the boys are producing them, the boys are specific. It was fun. It was just fun doing doing all that stuff, you know. Everything with crop was just sort of joy. Because they'd bring the storyboards and you'd all be there and like this is what's happening and we would just try things. And, Thank you so much. Um, now we have some questions for Kronk himself. So, can we bring out Kronk? <laughs> so Kronk, how did you meet Yzma? Oh, I tried to think back. It was some kind of a... It was, a, it was an online service. Not a dating service. She was looking for She said she was looking for help in the kitchen. And a paper. So I showed up. I had no idea what it would entail until I got there. And then you're in too deep. You can't get out. How long have you been cooking? For well, as long as I can remember. I, I had one of those easy bake ovens. <laughs> So I might do it again. I'll get it by the time I'm seven, dude. 
two questions. One, um, I just want to know what your kids, how do kids react when they realize that the, you are the voice of prom? And the second question is, does Disney give you a free ride pass for your entire life? Well, you think that it should. <laughs> it usually involves a few telephone calls and jumping through a few hoops. It's like, but you know, they, they do take care of us over there. I mean, we have, I have brought my family to Disneyland. I mean, we, uh, and, and we, uh, you know, we get a special deal, a special rate to Grand California Hotel. We get the corporate rate. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. It's it's all good. Um, <laughs> no, but they take care of us and give us passes and guides. If you've never had a guide at Disneyland, that's just, that you get spoiled because um, you can cut lines and stuff. I was still, I hate that. I, I don't like doing that though. I am really a bad line cutter. My wife is an excellent line cutter. <laughs> She has no issues with that. And I was like, I don't look like a jerk. And I was like, just come on. <laughs> Nobody cares if you're a jerk. I listen, I can't be that guy. But um, but uh, the kids have always seemed to appreciate appreciate it, you know, and get kind of kick out of it. I remember because uh, they always get to that age of reason too. My little guy Gabriel, when he was you know, four or five years old, that his favorite show was, uh, and he watched Buzz Lightyear's Star Command, and if I walked in the room and started doing the voice, he would, he would go up and smile at the TV, looking at me with a smirk, and he would say, don't do that. <laughs> then, we're all shameless self-promoters when it comes to our kids, so I just, look, that is me. That's your dad. He's just looking at me like I'm nuts. But then when he finally got it, you know, a few months later, you know, it's super fun, you know, the realization, when you see the realization in her eyes, you know, that that's what dad does with But uh, it's fun. The kids love it. My folks are, it's an interesting, they, they're very religious. They hate the fact that I'm a family guy. They, they uh, my mother believes my soul is in peril. <laughs> This is true, and it's, it is funny, but it's very sad. Uh, I, yes, I've gotten a yeah, tearful call showing my, my mother um, asking me to get off that show. Um, yeah. But uh, the kids love it. <laughs> hey, thanks again for uh, coming out, by the way. Uh, my question was, has there ever been a part, like, in particular, that you've always, you always wanted to get, but never had the ability to audition for? Well, listen, it would be fun to be, it would be fun to be Batman, but... <laughs> I would, uh, but I would rather be Tick, so... Um, so I'm um, hoping uh, for another opportunity to do that. This leads perfectly to what I want to ask. Uh, how did you feel while wearing the big blue tick suit? Well, the tick suit wasn't the most comfortable. Once you got in, you didn't get out. <laughs> and uh, you had to drink Gatorade all day to hydrate. And so um, 
but it was not a great design. Uh, but I wasn't going to complain. I just felt like when you have an opportunity to get to be a character like the Tick, um, that's the cross you have to bear is wear this big cum cumbersome, uncomfortable suit all day. Then you just you wear it and you don't complain to everybody because that gets old fast and it's like, this is it. But uh, wearing the suit, you know, probably my least favorite part. But afterwards, you know, I love that suit, you know, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. And you have these antenna that had, each one had four different servos. And uh, I still remember the, 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 the man who operated his name was Mark Zetrakian, and he um, worked on the Star Wars films and with a lot of the droids and robots and whatnot. Hey, so I'm a huge fan of like all your voices, and um, with a lot of my friends, I do impressions of like a lot of your characters. And I was wondering if we could get a juxtaposition of me doing an impression of one of your characters, and then having you do it, because that would be awesome. That nah, would be perfect. <laughs>
the Mets game got written over by one of Audrey's shows. So you do a cry of exasperation, like, oh, come on. Come on, Audrey! <laughs> Like, what is your favorite character you've ever, like, favorite part that you've 
Well, favorite character, live action, would probably be the tech. Yeah. And then, um, in animated, it would be crop. So those are those would be my two my two guys. Um, we did a film called The Woman Chaser years ago, which was uh, based on a Charles Wilford novel of the same title, and it was um, shot film and lost out black and white. And uh, it's kind of a cool little movie. We debuted at the New York Film Festival. We won, you know, and uh, it won a lot of um, you know audience awards at festivals like South by Southwest and. Um, it's a unique, uh, it's a unique film. It was a unique opportunity with the first-time director, um, but it's been buried for like 13 or 14 years because they still owe half a million or four million dollars in music. But that's coming out in about a month on Netflix, and it's really um, ironic and funny and smart, uh, smart in a certain way. So if you get a chance, check it out. But it's called The Woman Chaser, and that was one of the one of the one of the best like independent film experiences I've ever. Um, so within the context of voice acting, what would you say has been the most challenging aspect of your career? Um, other than voice acting, what would be the most challenging aspect? Because voice acting, voice acting to me has always been, you're a lot freer when you do voice acting because you're just, you're in a room, use your imagination, you have fun, and it's either right or it's wrong, but you can, you know, um, you have that freedom to, to do things. And so I've never really found that to be challenging. I think it's, it should just be fun and enjoy. And uh, the more you enjoy doing it, the more you know, it, it, it comes out. Um, but uh, and challenging, I think, are, are times when you end up on a set, on the set of a, you know, an independent film, and a lot has to be done in a short period of time. You really have to figure out who and what you are. It wouldn't be, you know, a sitcom. Sitcoms, you, they write themselves, you know, people know who your characters are, you know, pretty early on, and um, those just become sort of well-oiled machines. Um, but, uh, you know, it had to be that, and, or, you know, the actual product, productions that, uh, demand a lot of your your time, attention, you have to, you know, that takes a lot of work. I don't do that a lot anymore. <laughs> I live in oil chain out of town and I got a family and theater really takes away from your family, but that's something I miss. The, you know, theater's just still, I think, the best, purest experience and um, truly the most demanding one. And thank you for all your questions.
name is Patrick and I'll be your chief flight attendant today. We'll begin boarding in a few minutes, but first I'd like to acquaint you with some important safety information. <laughs> when the doors to your flight open, please take a seat and store all carry-on items in the underseat compartment. This includes cameras, purses, hats, and of course these little duties. <laughs> Next, fasten your seatbelts, inserting them into the buckle on your right. If smaller aviators don't measure up to the height indicator on the seat, just put the belt through the loop in the center strap before buckling. <laughs> nice work, pal. <laughs> Soon you will be airborne, so if you or your little aviators have a fear of flying or heights, you might want to wait, wait for your party at the arrival gate. Okay, let's review. That is a seatbelt, carry-on items, safety strap, fear of fights, keep your hands and arms inside at all times. Anything else? Okay. Have a nice one. All right, so uh, we know one of Kronk's, Kronk has many, many talents, uh, but one of them is he likes to speak to wooden creatures as part of his junior challenge. So with, our, with, our, with the help of our friend Lucky the Squirrel here, <laughs> is not going to teach all of us how to speak squirrel. Boy, I gotta know. You gotta know speaking squirrel is probably one of the simplest languages in the entire world. You can learn it in a day. It's easy, it's easy. First off, it's like the same word over and over. A lot of people don't. I'm not sure how they don't get that. It's all in inflection. Start every conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it isn't a fun door right there. 
Look at the Tony Bancroft. He drew me. <laughs> he made my legs look the way they did. Huge at the top and very. It looked like a, like you could spin me. I would have liked it if I was a little bit more in proportion. With this, sweepings, chippers. <laughs> Any questions? So with that, I hope you all have enjoyed the first episode of Window to the Magic's 10th season. We're going to be going back and kind of looking back at our roots over the next uh, 12 months and seeing exactly what it is that you guys enjoy the most about Window to the Magic, and we're going to do our best to bring back some of those great things. So, so far, we have done a pretty good job on this first episode. I can't really think of anything else that I could really play on this particular episode. Wait a second. I know. It's time for the Diz Test, the game show where you test your knowledge of the sounds from throughout the wonderful world of Disney. And now, here's your host, Calvin Barry. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Diz Test. My name is Calvin, and this is the game show where you get to test your knowledge of Disney sounds. The rules of the game can be found in your official Window to the Magic booklet provided with this episode. Enough talking. Let's get started with an easy one. Any ideas? How about one a little harder? This really isn't so bad. Let's try a really tough one. I'm going to give you a second to figure them out. Alright, time's up. Let's see how you did. Now what was that first one? Hmm... That's right, I remember. It's the Mickey Mouse Club March. Who's 
Then it was the theme song to the House of Mouse. Last but not least, did you get it? It was the theme song to Darkwing Duck. That's it for my mandatory help dad with the podcast for this time. (laughs) Just kidding. I'll see you next time. And with that, I would like to thank you all for listening to A Window to the Magic as we begin our 10th season of bringing you the best audio adventures from throughout the wonderful world of Disney. As we end the show, I would like to thank everyone who has supported the show throughout the years, especially those who are recurring supporters of A Window to the Magic. You guys keep the magic happening each and every month. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We always appreciate your feedback, so be sure to email or call us soon. Email us at podcast at windowtothemagic.com. You can call us at 307-438-9886. That's 307-GET-WTTM. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com WTTM, and you can add us as your friend on Facebook. Be sure to join us again next week when we'll take another trip into the wonderful world of the Disney sound experience. But for now, this has been a window to the magic, the ultimate Disney audio adventure, and I'll see you next time. Some days you eat the bear, and some days... The bear eats you, but always dress for the hunt! Come to Come Surround yourself with the magic. Okay, bye.